You're listening to Solar Insiders, a fortnightly update on the ins and the outs of the solar industry and what it means for solar owners and industry. With Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading solar industry veteran Nigel Morris. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Clanergy, providers of innovative, high-quality solar solutions to the world. SunWiz, Australia's leading service provider to the solar and storage industry. And Solar Analytics, helping you get more from your solar, more confidence, more savings and more insights. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Solar Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy, one step off the grid and EV focused and driven. And joining me patiently, very, very patiently, because I've been faffing around for ages, is <laughs> Nigel Morris from Solar Analytics. Nigel, um, you're a good man. You haven't sworn once as you're just sitting there waiting for me to get my um, stuff together. Well, I don't know how you do it. All those websites, you know, millions and millions of hits, stories coming out uh, coming out every single day. It's a miracle that you're even here. Well, it is a miracle we're even, I'm even here. Yes, we're actually just um, one of the reasons why we're delayed. We're getting the leaves off the roof um, as we're waiting another um, rain event up here in the Northern Rivers. We've had enough rain events, thank you very much, but um, we might have another one, but we'll just get to see. Nigel, it was a pleasure catching up with you and David Leach the other day in Sydney. Um, I was down there for a whole bunch of family and business visits, and um, I had this bright idea once I discovered that David Leach had flown up to Brisbane, driven home in in an Ionic 5 electric SUV with vehicle to load, and you came around with your Harley Live wire and we plugged you in. And there you were, in the, on, the, on the driveway, getting a charge up from um, David Leach's electric car. How good's that? Mate, it's, it's not only good, it's, it's one of those things where you go, in, in, in retrospect, I came home and tried to explain what had happened to some friends who were visiting and they went, wait, what? You charged your electric motorbike from an electric car? Is that even a thing? And I went, yeah, that's a thing. You can do that. And they went, that's just crazy. And I said, yeah, it is a bit crazy, but it's actually just, you know, it's just the world we live in now where you can charge an electric bike or, in fact, you can charge an electric car. You could charge anything you wanted up to 3.6 kilowatts, if I remember correctly. uh, Absolutely. And I was really disappointed that David did not let me plug in my Tesla to his um, Hyundai (laughs) office. (laughs) I just thought... David, this is a huge opportunity here. We can just, yeah. you know, these two that they can they can be sort of, you know, plugged into each other. They can have their way with each other, and um, yeah. Um, but um, they wouldn't do it. I don't know. But it, well, it I mean, ultimately, the the simplicity of it. Once we um, once we worked a couple of little things out, the simplicity of it is you just plug in and you've got power coming out. And, you know, it doesn't matter what you do with it at the other end, charge a vehicle, run a kettle, you know, it, it doesn't really matter. But the, um, the, 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 the beautiful simplicity of how it just worked in the end was, um, was testament to where we're at in this world. No, it's a beautiful thing. And thank goodness it doesn't take as long to boil a kettle with those things as it does to fill up your bike. But there you go. That's a different issue. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Otherwise, yes. we'd be waiting a long time for a cup of tea. <laughs> Nigel, let's get on to the business at hand, which is solar. Um, a rather major and well interesting development. I mean, it's been one of the most popular stories on our website. I think we must have seen the same LinkedIn post, and you had one idea, and I had pretty much the same idea. One of the great knockers of feed-in tariffs over the past five, ten years um, has um, 
seen the light, as it were. And he admits not only is rooftop solar useful for pushing out fossil fuels, it also has a net benefit for consumers. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Yeah, it was. Um, I, I saw your your story on this, and um, you know, Mr. Simhauser, as you say, very vocal what? critic. Yeah, now well, let's just put it in context. It's Paul Simshauser, who, um, look, nice bloke, but um, he was probably wrong about this. He was the chief economist for AGL for a long time, went on for, yeah. to have a very senior position in the Queensland government, the head of the Department of Energy, and is now CEO of Powerlink. Anyway, you take the story away from there. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and you know, Mayor Culper, and, you know, we all make mistakes and we all have to, you know, circle back around sometimes and go, oh, I didn't quite get that right. And, and, um, but you know, uh, Mr. Simhouse's had some some very influential, made some very influential statements over the years about how he thought that solar was, you know, and 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 the feed-in tariffs that were encouraging people to add solar in particular were not a good thing. And um, you know, lo and behold, um, everything circled back around, and he's he's seen the light, and he's realised that you know, although obviously. There's a transfer of wealth if you're, you know, pushing a rebate to one particular type of person that some other person may not be able to get. But the net result has been good for the community. And it's been great to see Mr. Simhauser come out and acknowledge that. Yeah, no, absolutely, absolutely. Um, it amazes me that he actually finds the time because he's still like an associate professor or he's probably even a full professor at Griffith University, I think it is, um, and he's writing academic papers. How he actually finds the time to do such things is is pretty amazing. Um, one of the things that's always struck me is, I mean, look, Simshauser hasn't been the only critic of feed and tariffs, and look, you know, you could probably find reasons to criticise some of the structure of them and the scale of them and the length of them and the depth of them and things like that. One of the things that always struck me, though, is that people, the most vocal critics of these feed-in tariffs, they weren't so much interested in actually sort of um, finding a better way and making sure that the people who might miss out on the benefits are actually included and thinking here about low-income housing and rentals and stuff like that, but just wanted to just sort of knock the damn things back anyway rather than actually thinking of smarter ways to actually sort of do that. And it, it's, it's remarkable now that we're only kind of finding out, <laughs> you know, ways now and business models, and that's largely due to the fact that, you know, we just, um, you know, we just had big, big shouting matches about whether they have feed and tariffs at all rather than thinking about the smartest way to do them and i guess that's probably a story that represents the scale of the whole of the, the whole energy transition over the last decade i suppose yeah you're right and and you know i i sit on a couple of panels um i, I sit on an advisory panel for for a distribution company actually as a sort of a consumer rep and and you know when you when you really dig in yeah, the energy industry is really complex. There's a, there's an enormous amount of moving parts. There's federal regulation, there's state regulation, there's business interests, there's distribution requirements and there's retail requirements and, you know, there's subsidies and things flying all over the place driven by politics. So, you know, it is a, it is a very, very complex space. But I think, you know, what this shows is, is something, um, it, you can kind of come back to some really simple fundamentals with this issue, which was always the case that we were arguing, and that is, you know what, if you get more renewables in at a big enough scale, you're going to drive negative price events. That's going to have an impact on the merit order effect, which is going to reduce wholesale prices. And 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 broadly speaking, that's been proven to be right. And that was kind of the, the, the thing that um, 
Mr. Simhauser was was alluding to was that you know we've started to see some of these societal wide benefits coming through now. So you know it's complex. There's no doubt about that. And and I, I think the risk is in trying to you know argue the detail. Uh, sometimes we can end up tangling ourselves up and and forgetting that you know um, having three and a half million Australians invest their own money to put solar on the roof is going to actually end up benefiting a whole lot of people who haven't done that. And we're probably going to put about 10 times that much anyway. We're well, not 10 times that much, but it's a multiple of that over the next decade or so um, as we see the grid completely transformed. So um, very, very interesting. Um, for the industry, Nigel, we talked last time about whether the industry was ready for the new rules and regulations and standards that came into um, force on April the 1st. Um, were they? I think they were, and and actually, um, I'll um, I'll talk a little bit later on about a great chat I had uh, on Great Solar Business about the forms and about some of the work that um, some of the STC brokers in particular did to kind of automate the process. But you know, one of, one of the things I promised I'd do on the last episode, Giles, and I actually met this promise was I, I rang and installed a friend of mine. Uh, Chris Pond from uh, Sydney Solar Electricity, who's been around for ages, does some really fascinating work up here on the northern beaches. And I asked him and I said, Chris, what does this mean to you? Um, and he said, well, look, at the end of the day, these new forms potentially add, you know, half an hour or so per job. Um, but he said, look, you know, at the end of the day, it's not a deal breaker. But, you know, when you look at what it takes to actually do a solar install now or to do the admin the admin around a solar install there's a whole lot of declarations you've got to collect electricity bills you've got to submit that now um there's there's just more messing around and more toing and froing and so what this meant to chris was that you know in on average he said look there's probably around two two and a half hours of admin and paperwork associated with a typical solar install now which actually blew my mind but you know when you run through the list of electrical approvals and, you know, toing and froing. There's a lot of toing and froing in this process. And and sure, you can streamline it a bit. There's some automation that you can do. But, you know, guys like Chris, they spend their evenings um, after dinner sitting there, you know, processing forms and processing paperwork and getting all these things done. So, um, you know, what what seems like a really simple thing uh, actually has a fair bit of admin attached. And this is adding more. Um, but, um, you know, uh, luckily, um, there's automation and there's digital stuff now, which is helping to make it easier. We shouldn't be sitting down doing work after dinner, but don't we all? Well, don't most of us do end up getting caught up with that? Because it's the nature of it <laughs> yes. at the moment. I mean, you know, I can go, um, no, I don't go tut tut. Um, I just go, I sympathize because um, we all find ourselves in the same situation, but, um, anyway. It's true. What else is yeah? What else is on the menu, Nigel? No, no, no. Actually, no. Don't. I'm not. Oh, no, don't want. Oh. Don't want to know. No, we're going to take a message from one of our sponsors. Sunwiz are Australia's leading service provider to the solar and storage industry. Sunwiz now offers a unique business-wide solution for solar retailers. Differentiate and automate your business with a tailored implementation that builds referrals. Visit sunwiz.com.au forward slash accelerate and discover how you can boost your profits while working less. And, of course, we'd like to thank all our sponsors for their ongoing and continued support, um, Clean Energy Solar Analytics and Sunwiz. 
How's your moment, Nigel? What's next on the menu? Well, uh, another story from Renew Economy, actually. Um, oh, what a fun publication. Well, a fine publication, and I have to say, um, I kind of looked at I look at your I look at your daily newsletter and go, yeah, 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 yeah. Ooh. And every day there's a little nugget in there for me. And this one was a, a, a real nugget. Solar GIS, who are a global entity who collect solar radiation data, published some really interesting stuff showing the annual variation in solar insulation, solar radiation across Australia. And it was it was really, really interesting to me because, you know, in some years we could see that we were close to 10% in some places under the long-term average. So what does this mean for a solar owner? Well, if you look at 2021, much of the East Coast, as an example, was around 5% under average, which mm-hmm. means solar owners are going to see less generation. They're going to see less savings than they may have previously. And in fact, if they happen to have benchmarked against a year or two before going, um, solar system used to produce this much in 2019, 2019 was 10% above the average. So to a solar owner, they're seeing a swing of perhaps 15%. And that's a, that's a change in generation, but a change in savings as well. And, um, this is actually where, you know, um, solar radiation data, and, 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 you know, understanding the true performance of a system, not just what the system spat out can be incredibly valued. If, if only there was some kind of solar analytics service that did this for you automatically to ensure that customers understood that this is normal, Giles. But Well, yeah. Well, look, um, it's, it, it's fascinating to see. I mean, it's got implications, obviously, for the rooftop boys and all the installations and all the households there. And some of them might look at their roof, their, their output and go, hang on. Hang on, what's going on here? And I've got to say, I've been looking at my um, little um, panels, not my panels, my sort of you know displays and going, hmm, that's a bit less than what I was getting last year. And that's because, as you say, the uh, irradiation um, of the last 12 months in 2021 was lower than it was before. And we've also seen that in the reports of large-scale solar farms. Now, they're particularly affected. And we don't actually get yeah. to see much detail um, because there's so few of these um, solar farm owners uh, remain listed. But there's a couple around. And there's probably about a dozen solar farms that we actually get some sort of insight into. Um, um, there's a couple of UK and French, um, including Neon, who are listed. So they actually report and they've all said um their solar earnings and their output have been down um this past year because of um lower than expected um production and that going hand in hand with some other sort of network issues is sort of you know set their sort of expected revenue down about you know 15 20 percent in some cases but certainly like a 10 percent fall or between about five and ten percent fall in the actual sunshine yeah yeah. So, it's, I mean, it's really interesting and it, it, it really highlights that, you know, long-term averages are great for, you know, broadly calculating what's to be expected. But, you know, especially, as you say, for these larger uh, plants, uh, the bigger the plant, the bigger the losses are if there's a, is there's a, if there's a deviation from um, the, the uh, average that you would expect. So, you know, it really highlights the value of collecting data and, you know, solar GIS and the other entities that are out there that do a great job collecting this data um, are, um, you know, right on the money in showing the impacts. And, um, you know, it's, it's one of those important subtleties uh, buried in the background that you really need to understand if you're um, going to invest in a solar farm, particularly. 
Absolutely. Hey, Nigel, we're about 20 minutes into this, um, well, not quite 20 minutes into this podcast. We haven't even mentioned the election once. Do you think we should or just move on? Well, I'm just going to say when it comes to the election that I got my bin stickers today. So I was pretty stoked. <laughs> and in fact, my, my, uh, we've got ours. <laughs> my, uh, mine turned up. They were a bit delayed. They had a big rush. But my 14-year-old rang me and went, hey, Dad, someone's put a weird sticker on the bin with a picture of, a picture of the Prime Minister holding a lump of coal. Do you want me to tear it off? I said, don't you tear that off. I put that on there. And he said, oh, he said, the Prime Minister looks like a bit of an idiot holding a lump of coal. I said, that's the whole point, son. Don't touch it. So, so I've, and I, leave the bin out all week, if you don't mind. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I only, I only had a... I only, uh, in, in, in excitement, I only slapped it on one bin, but I've got three bins at my place, or four counting the recycling. So uh, I've, got a, I've got a collection of stickers that I'm going to excitedly go down and, and stick on all my bins and uh, see how my council reacts. <laughs> well, you might find it. well i don't know you're actually you know um, you're actually in one of those contested seats aren't you or is it uh, are you in zali's seat or you're in north you're in zali's no, I'm, I'm not, yeah no 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 i'm in the next one up we've got dr something or other uh sophie sophie something or other um but yeah there's a big campaign running uh that i'm being bombarded with all over you the might socials. To, you might want to find out her name nigel before you get to the voting booth <laughs> Dr. Sophie something, hang on. I'll Google her up. Uh, he's got a scams. Oh, good. Oh, good. I'm glad to see that you're completely on top of the situation as normal. Ah, <laughs> oh, dear. Okay. Um, next story, Nigel. What's, um, I'll just point out, actually, the um, the data that we got from Sunwiz for month of March. Um, sort of defined, mm. sort of, you know, predictions of doom and gloom, but... Um, Gee, it's a bit down from last year, isn't it? It is, mate. And and you know, I was on the on the phone this week, ringing around a whole bunch of people all over the country, and you know, it's patchy out there. There's some weird stuff going on in the market, and um, you know, I've been saying this right since the beginning of the year. And we know what happened in January. We know what happened in February, and you know, prices are volatile, and 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 you know, supply and demand is still challenging, and we're hearing stories about, uh, you know, just costs all over the place, even down to, you know, if you want to run a cherry picker to get panels up onto a commercial job, well, guess what? The cost of getting a cherry picker has gone up and the cost of the fuel to run that cherry picker has mm. gone up. And, you know, there's a lot of flow-on impacts out there. Um, and, and, of course, COVID, you know, the number of people catching COVID, uh, um, myself included, during the last episode um, is, you, you know, COVID the in the last episode? Well, just before the last episode, but you know, I, say, I thought this is a safe broadcast, but yeah. still. <laughs> but yeah, it's yeah, it's it's just I don't know, it's weird out there at the moment, and um, so yeah, the numbers are, and the numbers are definitely reflecting that. Yeah, what's the? I mean, COVID situation in China is not getting any better. Shanghai has basically been shut down for two weeks. That's twenty-five million people, um, yeah. basically locked in their rooms or locked in their homes or their apartments or whatever. Is that having an added complication to supply chains and and what have you? I'd imagine it would. I'm I'm sure it would. I I I think um I think the flow on is yet to to be felt. Um, because, you know, most of what's going on, you know, over the next month in Australia is the consequence of what happened two or three months ago over in China. Um, um, so, you know, we'll probably feel those effects in the coming months. Mm. Okay. 
What else we got? Tell us what you've been having on Great Solar Business um, last yes. week and upcoming. Yes, yes. So uh, last week I had a terrific chat with uh, Rio Hare, um, actually from Greenback, um, who mm-hmm. is, an, is, is an STC trader. Um, but what I really um, tried to tease out of Rio, and, and uh, I mean, she's done a great job. She's the second generation in that business, I, I must yeah, add. Yes, yes. Yeah, Fiona um, O'Hare founded that business, and now Rio, her daughter, has come in to take over the mantle, is doing a wonderful mm-hmm. job. Um, but what we what we really tried to dig into was, you know, looking forward um if you're a solar business what are the risks and the opportunities associated with sdcs and lgcs and and so we dug into that issue a bit that was fascinating because you know they're in they're intrinsic in the cost of the, the super low cost of solar these days and uh commercial as warwick's data showed actually commercial has been quite strong so you know potentially lgcs is is an opportunity but also a risk so worth having listening to for that and uh, i've got another one in the can actually which will come out next week um, um, which was a great chat with a solar retailer who's about to celebrate their 20th anniversary as a solar retailer in Australia. So I really dug into, you know, how do you do that? <laughs> how do you yeah. survive 20 years as a solar retailer? And what are some of the lessons that you can take from that? And 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 what's the future going to bring? What's that business need to be like uh, so that, uh, again, the second generation, in fact, in that business, there's three generations, would you believe? The third generation's already in there. And, um, you know, what's it going to take for that third generation of that particular family to keep that business going for another 20 years? So another another really interesting chat. Oh, good stuff. Good stuff. Now, look, talking about retailer, but switching from solar retailers to energy retailers, you've got some stuff here about sort of um, some of the tariffs and um um, they've been offer, off, offering, and um, you've got a bit of a complaint, I looks like. Well, <laughs> a bit of a complaint. I, th- I think, I mean, it's really interesting because, as you know, we, we, we've we now got a function on Solar Analytics called Plan Optimizer where we are able to compare plans and, and guide solar owners towards which plan is we, we think is the best. But it's been quite revealing because... I actually followed our own advice and finally got round to switching a week or so ago. And um, so I rang my, I, I, we'll look through the list of the recommendations. I went, oh, I don't like to look at them. I don't like to look at them, but they're, they're good. And they're, they're, you know, I think I chose the second or third cheapest deal. It wasn't the cheapest one because I, I didn't like the look of the other companies. But um, I found a deal that looked good, rang them and said, right, this is the tariff structure that I want. And actually, um, it's recommending that the time of use deal would be best for me. And they said, oh, no, 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 you're not eligible for time of use. And I said, oh, oh, aren't I? And they said, no, 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 your your location, you're not eligible for time of use. I said, oh, what about demand charges? I've got a friend down the road who's, who's you know, on a program that allows them to shift their demand and manage their demand so that, you know, they avoid big demand charges. I said, no, 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 you're not eligible for that either. Here's the deal. now." As it turned out, the deal that they were offering wasn't, it was a matter of a few cents difference. So I took the deal that they offered. But what it highlighted to me is that they were kind of self-selecting the tariffs that they were willing to offer to me. I've got the technology. I've got a smart meter. It's remotely connected. I know it can do time of use. I know they can measure my energy in five-minute intervals, intervals so that they can see what my demand is and they could put me on a demand tariff. But for some particular reason, that particular energy retailer 
didn't want to offer that to me. We also had a similar case with a customer actually who came to us recently and sort of said, oh, um, uh, there's a difference between the plans that we were showing and, and what the retailer was available. And they sort of came to us and said, oh, it might be something wrong with your algorithms. But what it turns out was happening was a similar kind of pre-selection criteria where the retailer was looking at the plan that that particular customer was already on and sort of pre-deciding what tariffs were going to suit more because it worked for the retailer than it did for the customer. And so the customer actually in that case had to kind of argue and go, look, I know you've got other plans and I know those plans are better for me, so I need you to dig a bit deeper. So, and and this actually came up in discussion on one of the panels that I'm on today, uh, and um, it highlighted the challenges of actually pushing retailers beyond what they might publish or beyond what seems like is available and really pushing them quite hard on, uh, on what other plans might be available um, there. So, yeah, it really highlights how volatile this space is, how the choice is kind of almost blinding. Uh, you know, I've got 37 different tariffs available to me and trying to navigate through all of that is really, really tricky. But I guess the net result of all of this is um, uh, when you uh, start talking to your retailer, don't necessarily take for granted that what they're telling you straight away is, um, is in fact the truth. Mm. Um, just associated with that, um, we discovered this um, in deep in the sort of the regulatory filings and things like that. Um, a whole bunch of um, some of the networks have been in, invited to trial um, a whole range of different tariffs through the day. Now, these included sort of you know um, solar sponge charges, where they basically pay you between nothing and about two cents for the solar electricity sort of sent back to the grid during the um, 